questions about quality in a time of healthcare disruption, today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto. Today, I'm handing the reins over to our news team to discuss the latest news in healthcare disruption. You may remember their episode about this topic a few months back. Now, as Amazon prepares to shut down Amazon Care and acquire One Medical, new questions are emerging about quality. Here to discuss these issues are HFMA Senior Editor Nick Hutt and HFMA Policy Director Sean Stack. Hey, everybody. Eric has given us license to take over the entire podcast, at least for this episode. We did the same thing a few months back with an episode on healthcare industry disruptors and their current and future impact. This time, we want to put a twist on that topic and talk about potential issues with the quality of healthcare provided by disruptors. The impetus for this conversation, in part, was a Washington Post article published in August that described how nurses at Amazon Care were concerned about aspects of that organization's clinical operations, namely that a byproduct of the emphasis on convenience and access was that optimal care standards weren't always met. Sean, what was your general reaction to that piece, just in terms of whether it ran true? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, it did ring true to me. And, and it's something that I think we have been talking about for you know the last year here is what's all this disruption in healthcare going to mean for the final product of healthcare, right? So having multiple folks entering this market and, and providing services, what's that do and what's that look like for the patient who could suffer from very disjointed care, right? The continuity of care could be broken if this is not implemented with a very thoughtful approach and relationships are not built to refer patients to other care organizations as they outgrow potentially some of these services that are being provided that are typically less acute for these disruptors. So I think I think the article really spoke to a lot of our fears of what's been morphing here before our eyes in the disruption market. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to delve into the whole fragmentation aspect of this issue a little bit later in this episode. You know, as the article mentioned, this whole kind of dynamic highlights a conflict, almost like an inherent tension between the tech and medical sides of a healthcare startup. The Post reported that because Amazon, like with so many aspects of its overall business, doesn't want to be providing a product or service in a physical location, that nurses were having to, for example, stabilize patient blood samples using centrifuges while sitting in their cars. Not while driving, I can only hope. But that was because they obviously had no medical office to work in. It sounds like Amazon Care tends to get very good reviews, but patient satisfaction with care does not always align with the best quality care. There are certain things all of us as patients may reflexively be, I guess, more attuned to, you know, like waiting times. Does a physician or nurse smile a lot? But obviously those things, while important, don't always equate to getting the best possible health care. One note just to mention is that very shortly after that article was published, it was announced that Amazon Care will be disbanding. Now, that announcement surely had nothing to do with that article, but rather it was a strategic move in that Amazon didn't think Amazon Care was providing great value to clients, and they're looking to make the most of their recently announced purchase of the primary care chain, One Medical, which was an acquisition that we also talked about on a recent episode. 
Sean, let me turn it over to you. We we talked before recording this segment, and one thing you brought up was regulatory and oversight issues surrounding some of these disruptors. What we're seeing more and more is a lot of the disruption is focusing on, and, and rightly so, making healthcare more affordable to that self-pay patient or that managed care patient where you have a coinsurance or deductible But many of these providers, and Amazon included, is really focusing on making healthcare very attainable, not only logistically, but also from a price point. So many of these, and I'm not just speaking, of course, to Amazon here, I'm speaking across the board. Many of these disruptors are not working with CMS because they're they're not focusing on the Medicare population. They're focusing on the cash and carry population. So as we know with hospitals, working across all payers and all populations really requires a lot of governance and oversight from the federal market, from CMS, from Medicare and Medicaid, and all the managed care groups that fall under them. So there is some angst here on what is the regulatory body that will be overseeing a lot of these services from the disruption standpoint in all of the states across the U.S., what does that disjointed or combined oversight look like? And I think the feds and regulatory bodies are just finding their footing right now in addressing some of these stresses and some of these needs that the disruption market is making right now, right? Yeah, that's a point that you know may be overlooked when people think about the strategic impact of some of these new entrants to the industry, but it's absolutely going to have to be sorted out as we go forward. And then another thing you noted that I think is really important to mention is clinician safety, which certainly anecdotally speaking, is all the more significant of a concern in the pandemic era. Obviously, when care is provided virtually, the clinician doesn't have to worry about being harmed physically. But in many instances, these startup healthcare companies will be providing in-person clinical care. So what's the risk in your mind? I mean, it's very concerning. I mean, during the pandemic, studies have found that 44% of RNs have reported physical violence and 68%, I think, reported verbal abuse during the pandemic. So numbers have risen and that is in hospital settings. So whenever you're out providing healthcare services, whether it's at home or at a clinic that has less staff in it, that risk just increases for the medical staff and for the patient. For patients who are coming into that atmosphere, if it's a very small clinical office where staffing may be bare bones minimum. So, you know, it it is a concern. It's a concern with the virtual mental health services that are rolling out. What are the backups? What are the backups if that virtual care escalates and that has to be referred to someone in that community to check on that patient or go out and and see that patient. That's one of the pieces I think that was divulged in the Washington Post article was that in the startup, it sounds like Amazon made bridges to correct the issue, but in the startup, nurses were really struggling when they had patients suffering from mental health issues, getting them transferred to the appropriate provider timely and doing a warm transfer rather than just dropping that patient into a queue to see a mental health provider at Amazon Prime. So I think there's a lot of growing pains with any new healthcare services started up, but it's a little bit easier and I feel a little bit more safeguarded 
when you have a legacy hospital organization that has trained their staff and their staff has grown with them and they understand delivering that healthcare service and the importances of continuity of care of those warm transfers of getting that patient to the right clinician in a hand-holding method. You know, like you, you said earlier, Nick, the focus on a lot of this disruption has been meet the patient where they are, patient satisfaction. But it's kind of like parenting, right? You want to be accommodating and loving and caring toward your patient population and their needs. But you also need to be able to draw the line and say, we can't offer you that care in that type of setting you do need to be in a more appropriate setting for that type of care. And I think that's where some of the stresses are coming in here, finding that balance in that disruption market, right? No doubt, no doubt at all. And, and yeah, I think continuity of care and fragmentation are, are key issues to get sorted out as the market you know, evolves the way it seems to be doing in recent years. There are obviously things disruptors can do to fortify their clinical operations. Amazon, like we just said, bought one medical, although, by the way, it sounds like that deal is going to be scrutinized pretty closely by the FTC. <laughs> but uh, Right, I agree. Um, but assuming it goes through, one medical has physical locations, actual clinics. And while it does provide a lot of care remotely, it has more of an actual healthcare infrastructure to fall back on, at least in terms of, of yeah. just looking at primary care than Amazon Care did when starting out. Yeah, it, it seems like they're evolving, right, in a way that they know they should be evolving. And, and then that next week, Nick, as you probably remember, they formed a relationship with Ginger, which is a mental health organization disruption. So they're building their portfolio in what their patients need, I think, now. So I think they're beginning to learn from their mistakes, right? Right. Definitely seems that way. And another example, CVS Health is planning to buy Signify Health for $8 billion, which is twice what Amazon paid for one medical. And I, I thought that was a blockbuster deal, but, but this is twice that. So that's going to allow CVS Health to theoretically care for patients, starting with home health assessments, which is one of Signify Health's core capabilities, and then guide them to other settings as needed, whether retail as far as the minute clinics or to specialists that are in some of Signify Health's ACOs, which can take patients all the way through to the post-acute care setting. So they're developing kind of a full healthcare ecosystem under the CVS Health banner. In a lot of cases, and, and we both made this point in the previous episode we did on disruption, it's still going to be important for some of these newer entrants to establish formal partnerships with hospitals and health systems. What, Sean, is the opportunity for partnerships to be developed, do you think? No, I agree, Nick. And I, and I do think that there is, is definitely a place for disruption and for these new healthcare products and services to enter the U.S. market. I mean, we've had healthcare deserts in the U.S., especially in behavioral health and mental health and primary care for years. So there's definitely space for these folks to function and excel within our legacy system, right? Within in the continuum of care that used to be legacy only. But I do think the successful key is going to be having those legacy providers, those healthcare providers that have been in the market for years and providing services, really take a look at collaboration and referral patterns and build those relationships with the new folks coming into the market. Because I do think it's needed. And I think it's, it, it is the future. I really do believe that. Yeah, definitely. And that's something what medical did to establish its foothold in the healthcare industry was to partner with hospitals and health systems in core markets 
there was some criticism that maybe they could have chosen more cost-effective hospitals and health systems than they did. But nonetheless, those partnerships, those alliances allowed them to establish themselves as a viable healthcare entity that was able to provide care at the primary care level to large populations. In the last six months, we've done an hour-long webinar and two full podcast episodes on various aspects of disruption. It's just a fascinating topic with major implications for the industry. So I'm sure we'll have much more to come. So many thanks, Sean, and thanks to all of you. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Our Healthcare 2030 series is back for a second year and the first report is on a really hot topic, trust in healthcare. You can check that out by visiting hfma.org. And if you want to talk with us about the podcast, reach out to our team. You can email us at podcast at hfma.org. Wayne Newton's going to sue us.